0: If there was any time Thibak was going to break out the sword, it's this. And he's going to cut them right out of 2024. Mesdames et Messieurs,
1: the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. And welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarre, joined as always by my lovely co host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello, how are you today? I am so
0: excited about what I learned today. What did you learn? Tomas Bach and I have something very important in common. What? We're both seeing the hairdresser next week. <laughs>
1: You, yes, there was an IOC executive board meeting today. So that meant there was a press conference this afternoon. And T. Bach was looking a little shaggy, <laughs> and, which I noted and somebody else noted it too. On yes, one the of the first, other journalists, the first
0: questioners said, I see the two of us are having a hair competition. Yes. And then t was saying yes he's going back to his last century referring to the <laughs> 70s do which we have commented on but he also mentioned how he was seeing the hair and did it make you laugh that he called it the hairdresser <laughs> <laughs> maybe he goes to a salon you know he's the president of the ioc i hope so i hope he gets pampered and get his nails buffed as well while he's there
1: that he might you might. Well, the Shukvistan Ministry of Communications has asked us to tell you it highly recommends that you subscribe to our free newsletter, the Shukvistan Compass. You can do so at our website, flamealivepod.com. Sign up form is at the bottom of the page. The newsletter comes into your inbox every Tuesday. And I got to say, this past week worked out really well because we talked about Jordan Gray for female equity, and it kind of was a little confluence of events because I went to a, an event with Shokostani Sarah Hendrickson talking about equality, and then the Tokyo 2020 uh, appointed uh, Seiko Hashimoto to be its new president. So women in sport
0: was the topic of the week. Yeah, that And out. as you noted in the newsletter, it's not even Women's History Month yet. <laughs> wait till next month and the and the discussion of
1: uteri <laughs> right right speaking of women's history month a podcast you might want to check out is Hear Her Sport. It is long-form intimate profiles of female athletes breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. In every episode, host Elizabeth Emery introduces l- strong women who have become successful in their sport and far beyond. And over the years, uh, she she covers a wide variety of athletes, from people who do this as hobbies in their spare time or, or starting movements, or Olympians, like one of her most recent episode is with our Shuklistani Brianna Decker. Each amazing woman she features offers hope, energy, inspiration, and advice, sharing tactics and strategies that range from career building to well-being and speak to a broad range of listeners. New shows drop every other week on Thursdays. You can find it on hearhersports.com or your favorite podcast app. She's also Hear Her Sports on social. It's one of my favorites. I will say that. And Elizabeth
0: has that lovely to hang out with way about her.
1: Right. And she knows what she's talking about because she was on, on the long list for cycling to get into the Sydney 2000 Olympics. So she is very sporty herself.
0: I did not know that. So she can she can cycle away from me if she had to.
1: <laughs> exactly. If I'm stalking her. <laughs> she could and 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 because you don't ride a bike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There'd, no, there'd be no problem. She's like I'm getting away from her. She's scary. <laughs> well, the IOC has been up to a lot of stuff lately, and it's got its session meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. So we wanted to talk about some of the things that they've been up to, including the report on Agenda 2020 and its new five-year plan, Agenda 2020 plus five. Really? I know, it's
0: one of the, one of the I mean, worst. how hard would it have been to call it Agenda 2025? I know. They, and, were, just, like, they were just jealous
1: because we we're so big on
0: subtitles.
1: <laughs> and it's not like one five-year plan. You know, if you're making five-year plans, they're not going to be silos. It's like they thought, oh, we're going to continue Agenda 2020 and extend it. You know, they relate to each other anyway, no matter what you do.
0: And which is so frustrating because, you know, we read this report, so you don't have to. And it was actually extremely well written and easy to read and really flowed very nicely. So I was so disappointed by the clunky title.
1: Right, right. right. They graded themselves on how they did on Agenda 2020, first off, which was a 40-point list, basically, of things that they wanted to accomplish, and they thought they did pretty well. They did like what eighty-eight percent ish or so, which I which is, thats the guy would say the the IOC is an eighty-eight percent kind of organization, you know, in terms of all this like B, B plus range. Yeah, yeah, that's what that—that's how they're doing, you know, moving slowly but trying to get stuff done, trying to reform things like that. So they've been doing okay. So, what is big about Agenda twenty twenty plus five?
0: What I seem to note here was the Agenda 2020 was very inward looking. This felt very outward looking. Mm. You know, It was talking very much about what is the IOC's relationship going to be with external organizations, the outward community, athletes, and working with that in a way that was definitely more outward as opposed to, you know, 2020 focused so much on the bidding process and revamping the bidding process. Mm-hmm and how they worked internally, there was almost no discussion of bidding in this interesting. summary document. It was all about how can we help athletes from development to post-Olympic career.
1: It's interesting because one of the things I saw in the press is our friend Rich Perlman talked about this in the way that, oh, the IOC is just kind of wants to brand stuff and in a way take over. I guess you could read it that way. I
0: mean, Mm -hmm. because they were definitely talking about like the first they've had, they have 15 points, 15 recommendations. And the first one is strengthen the uniqueness and universality of the Olympic Games. So really leaning into branding and what makes the Olympics different than all these other multi-day, multi-sport events Mm -hmm. and international organizations. What makes us unique and different? And some of that did involve getting their fingers into a lot of different pies. So I could see Rich's point saying, yeah, we want to stick the IOC brand on all of this. But on the other hand, are they going to back that up with actual support? One of the points was increasing athlete development funds by 25 percent.
1: Which would be helpful.
0: Which is which is not chump change. I mean, that budget is not small to begin with. So if they're putting the money and the facilities behind that, and they want to stick their five rings on it, I'm okay with that, is if they want to stick their five rings on it, but they're not actually doing the heavy lifting.
1: Mm. Mm. Interesting. One of the other things they wanted to do was, in terms of athletes, they want to create an athlete department within the IOC, which... When you think about it on one level, you go, wow, that has not been there yet. And the IOC, you know, this is the 125th anniversary of Athens, 1896. And this massive event that is focused around sports has no department for the people who are driving the whole event. Sounds like the NCAA. Right. Right. So, I mean... In, in one sense, you go, wow, I can't believe they haven't had this before. But on the other sense like, thank goodness they're they're going to start one because the athletes do need this.
0: Right. And it sound the way it was presented in this document. And of course, like I said, it was very beautifully written. It's very forward thinking and hopeful. And, you know, they, they do know their corporate speak. And yet they were talking about increasing funding, having the athlete office, having people who work on post Olympic career options and support for the athletes. So it felt like they were being, yes, broad in general and flowery, but there were some specifics. It wasn't totally just corporate double speak. Mm -hmm. There was a section that did concern me very much. What was that? Encourage the development of virtual sports and further engage with the video gaming community. It was Number nine of their recommendations. Interesting. So on the one hand, and they mentioned this in the document, the pandemic taught them they can do a lot of things digitally. Mm -hmm. They can do a lot of, they should be doing a lot more virtually, remotely. It's less expensive. It reaches many more people. You can expand your audience. All of that is great. But then they started talking about the video gaming community. And of course, does that pave the way for esports, which worries me, or are we going to have companion things, which would be nice. Like when we talked to Sarah Jella from the Atlanta Historical Museum, and she was talking about they had some virtual things where you could walk around. Oh, uh, not right. Walk, but w- walk around in air quotes, different things from the Atlanta Olympics. If there's stuff like that that we're doing virtually and with the gaming community, fantastic if we're talking about esports in the games please god no
1: but what if esports takes break place no
0: i will still take i will take i will take anything that doesn't involve someone sitting in a chair interesting esports
1: interesting i wonder you know because every games for a while has had its own video game to go alongside it Oh, yeah, that's been true for... Yes, for for decades. So I wonder if the IOC wants to develop its own video game.
0: Right. Well, that would make sense.
1: Or uh, you create these characters in a video game that's Olympian, and maybe you have your own little competitions with that, but that's not part of the Olympics. But you still could get that audience. You know what
0: would be cool for an Olympic Games video game would be to... You pick your athlete and, uh, you know, have Jesse Owens race against Michael Johnson, against Usain Bolt. I mean, but sort of on an even playing field, because obviously the training and things, but certain things about them Mm -hmm. and who would win that race. And if you do certain things differently, like they do with the football video games, how you can mix players around and mix teams and do sort of fantasy games that couldn't ever actually happen. Now that I could get excited about.
1: Right, Because it's something different and it still requ- it still encourages engagement with the Olympic brand, right, without it being part of the Olympics. And you can do a whole lot of stuff with that kind of thing,
0: separately right. And so many of the virtual things, like they have figured out they can do all these meetings virtually. Well, how many meet and greets can we do virtually? You know, how many visits to different training facilities can they have virtually? And really use all these digital resources to, you know, obviously brand it with the with the rings, but give it more wide in the audience. And I thought what else was very interesting in that section was they did recognize that much of the world does not have access. Mm, Right. So I thought that was interesting that they did say, okay, we want to expand this, but not in such a way that leaves the technical have nots behind.
1: Which is good. At least which is they, important they that they recognized. It. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about this was their road to the games concept yes. of creating multi-sport events that would be Olympic qualifiers and allowing them to have Olympic branding on them, which it's interesting in the sense of you have little mini Olympics around, kind of, but not, it, you know, it's a road to the Olympics. But they wanted to streamline calendars and the competition calendar. I wonder if the pandemic has helped that along with so many people having a forced break from traveling every weekend. And do they start thinking, do we need to have this competition calendar always like this? Or can NGBs work together to have? events at the same place at the same time, like rent out the whole convention center and have fencing and judo and taekwondo. Right.
0: I wonder if that road to Olympics, are they trying to preempt or cash in on, and I, and I hesitate to use that phrase, the, you know, things like the Pan Am games and the Commonwealth games. Did you get the impression they were trying to kind of fold those in to the Olympic No, I
1: hadn't thought about that. To be quite honest. But that's an interesting concept because how do you...
0: All these regions have different, you know, we've got the the Asian Games and the Commonwealth Games and the Games, And all of them are qualifiers Mm -hmm. in various ways for the Olympics. So are we going to now bring those under the the Big Ten? Good question. And what does that mean?
1: Right. Because you don't necessarily want to be in charge of that many mini game. Well, they're not mini games. These are big events, because you're dealing with dozens of countries sometimes, and still a large number of athletes, you still want those organizations running everything. But I wonder if they say, oh, well, we'll let you slap on the Olympic rings, and have that branding to remind people that this is an Olympic thing as well, or an Olympic qualifier. And maybe having the rings on there will get the average person to go, hey, is it the Olympics or should I be watching this because it's got an Olympic attachment to it? And maybe that gets a little bit more interest in some of these regional games. You know, but on the flip side, does that dilute your brand?
0: Excellent question. Because if everything's the Olympics, that sort of goes against the first thing where they're talking about strengthening the uniqueness.
1: Right. And part of, of its the uniqueness games. is it's only once every four years. Right. And it's the only
0: thing that's the entire world of and all the sports. So it's more than a world championships. It's more than a regional games. Mm-hmm. It's both at the same time with everything. And yet you want to make sure that you're harmonized, the word they use, with how different NGBs and international federations are doing things. Very true. How, right? st- how does Thomas Buck sleep at night? What do you mean? <laughs> because right now my head hurts. <laughs> And we've been talking about this for a matter of minutes. And I'm thinking <laughs> I've just contradicted myself at least eight times, except about e-games. I will never contradict myself <laughs> about e-games.
1: Also along that, they wanted to coordinate the harmonization of the sports calendar because they they say it's very congested. And I bet in trying to reschedule Tokyo 2020, they learned just how congested that sports calendar is and how many things had to be moved around and right
0: and when we were talking to jordan gray we we had sort of a brief conversation of so what's happening with the track world championships which is and gymnastics is the same way where it's supposed to be on an off year Mm from the olympics but now it's not and do you postpone it and what does that mean for the next cycle it it's
1: complicated very much so and I understand that every international federation or even NGB needs to have these competitions happen every so often. They need to have the income and the visibility and the opportunity for athletes to compete. But is there a way to streamline that? And that's where this multi-event thing comes in as well. The multi-event concept comes in as well to help hopefully streamline that.
0: So one of the things the IOC has done in the past When it's come to things like doping issues or some governance issues, they've pushed back and put it on the international federations and the national governing bodies and just say, you know, that's not our purview. That's your responsibility. But
1: now are they kind of regretting that? Possibly. But this agenda 2020 plus five is forcing them or envisions them in taking a more active role in all of this. And saying, oh, we're the common touch point for all of these organizations. We're going to have to be the ones that step up and coordinate this.
0: You know, a couple of years ago, we did an episode about the family tree of the IOC, Mm -hmm. where we talked about the different NGBs and the different international federations and how everything kind of fit together. And I remember using the analogy of the king of many and with many wives, And the the favored wife's children. And now it kind of feels like the absent parent has decided to come back into the kids' lives. Ah, right. And is kind of wanting to take everything back in. And you know there are going to be international federations who are just going to be like, "Uh uh-uh.
1: Right. We want the cash
0: Mm -hmm. and we don't want your interference.
1: It'll be interesting to see. Who's going to be the calendar coordinator with all God, of these federations?
0: God bless them. Right? Can you imagine what their wall would look like? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Color-coded, boxes everywhere, not knowing what time zone they're in. It's complicated. It's really
1: complicated.
0: Good luck to them. So, speaking of absent parents and rogue international federations. Oh, Yes, so t- <laughs> let let's go talk about Tomas Bach's conference today, because he had a little something to say about the International
1: Weightlifting Federation. Oh, he did! It was uh, honest to Pete. The way he was talking, I thought he they was, were going to get kicked out of 2020. He
0: was so mad. In all the times we have
1: been watching
0: these conferences with him, this is the first time where. I realized what a scary dad he could be. (laughs) Yeah, I I really thought that he was going to put 2020 back on the table at the very least.
1: Right, right. Because he said the situation with the International Weightlifting Federation is becoming more and more grave. They are extremely concerned by the lack of change in terms of the management and the culture of the organization. They did reverse some of the anti-doping rules that they had relaxed recently so they did a u-turn on that and that was probably a really good thing but a lot of the other advice and requested changes that the ioc gave to them not happened and they keep warning them and warning them but again once again they will address the place of weightlifting in paris 2024.
0: And this time, I think this was how I read this was the next general meeting of the IOC mm-hmm. weightlifting's gone if they don't
1: if they don't make huge monumental shifts between now and then I bet so I bet by I bet they'll give them until the session that happens before Tokyo 2020 yes, and if they don't change, forget it because you're talking about three years, and who know they've had a long time to change and and they're not they haven't done anything? Yeah. Yeah,
0: and the, I- the IWF has elections, I think, the beginning of March.
1: Mm, so what it will be, see who gets elected, see what they're able to do. I bet. And
0: it's not, those elections are not looking good. Oh, really? Just Who's- who they're allowing to run, and it's, they're totally ignoring all the IOC advice regarding the elections. Mm. So if t- if there was any time, t was gonna break out the sword. It's this, and he's going to sh- 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 cut them right out of twenty 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 four.
1: And you know, and I say, good. Yeah, I know, and and that makes me sad for the athletes. Very sad for the athletes, and very sad because weightlifting is so much fun to watch, and the fans really get into it. And it's a really great experience, but you cannot have an organization that is pro-corruption, is pro-doping, basically, because that's what they they are. If you're allowing it to happen and you turn a blind eye, you're for it. so long. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me sad because Phil Andrews, the CEO of USA Weightlifting, keeps, like, he is everywhere doing stuff to make that organization stronger. Well, the only thing that I say good is you got to throw them out for a
0: a cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. Dissolve the IWF, reform it, and maybe people like Phil Andrews will be in charge.
1: You have to hope for that because that's, that's what. Yeah. Uh, but that's similar to what happened in wrestling, where they were thrown off the Olympic yes. program, and they changed themselves pretty quickly. Weightlifting but the isn't. You have, it's just not taking. It's like, do they not believe they're going to get thrown out? I don't think so. And I, I think you're right. I think it's going to have to happen that they get thrown out for a cycle, and they realize, oh. The IOC is actually serious about this. Uh, um, Also from T-Box press conference, uh, they had a little Tokyo 2020 report, but there's not a ton to report because it was basically they've met uh, the new head of the organization, which is Seiko Hashimoto. So they're, they're planning, there's been a seamless transfer of power between her and Uncle Yoshi. Uncle Yoshi's been basically... Cut out. They're not even. She's like, I might, I might ask him some advice, but he's like, he is out of here. Basically, he
0: might not even be invited to the wedding. I know. He may just like not be able to show his face at the event. Would be sad.
1: Coatsy said there was Coatsy John Coats, uh, who is the president of the IOC Commission for Tokyo 2020, said there was a lot of positive feedback on the first edition of the playbooks that they released, and they got a whole bunch of feedback from the athletes in particular on what information they're looking for from the next iteration of the playbooks, which I thought was very nice that they got that and they were listening to that feedback and go, okay, these are the questions they've got this let's address this.
0: So -hmm. I do need to say something about Seiko Hashimoto because Mm -hmm. I have to totally take back pretty much everything I said when we were talking about uncle Yoshi stepping down. Mm. I had said, I thought they would need somebody of a certain generation that I would Wasn't expecting them to pick a woman because of needing the gravitas for the position. I was totally wrong. So I want to acknowledge that.
1: And hopefully this is a
0: sign that there can be change. And yet again, they pick somebody who can use their former equipment as a weapon.
1: Oh, the speed skates?
0: She was a speed skater. You don't think she's got those skates sitting right behind her desk and sort of takes them out and starts, you know, sharpening the blade if somebody annoys her,
1: displeases her, if not just a thought. And she was a track cyclist. So, you know, she can just mow you down with those thighs. Just her, her strong thighs will just knock people out. <laughs> T-Bach also reported that for the refugee team, they've got 55 promising athletes from 13 countries being hosted by 21 national Olympic committees, and they cover 12 sports right now. So Olympic Solidarity invested over $2 million for this initiative, and at the executive board meeting in June, they will announce who's made the final refugee Olympic team for Tokyo 2020. A lot to look forward to there. And then the big thing for the meeting was talking about their future host concept. So as we've talked before, and even our, our second episode of the show, if you if you dare to go back and listen to it, <laughs> I know, right, uh, mm-hmm. was about who who really wants to host the games anymore. So part of Agenda 2020 was revamping the bid process. And instead of having these formal bids where cities threw their hats in the ring and maybe After a few rounds, the IOC would cut some down or they would have referendums and the citizens would say, hey, we don't want the games. And they'd fall away then, but have will have spent a lot of money in the meantime. Now, there is a future host commission that works with cities who are interested in bidding. And so a host would be or a country or a national olympic committee would send the ioc a letter and say hey we're interested in hosting and this committee would start talking with them and they work out some stuff uh they they figure out what kind of infrastructure and all of that that they have and then they'll they'll put together a report on what the proposal is for from the city or country and then they'll evaluate that and go okay this looks pretty good. Let's go on to the next stage. And the next stage of the call is dialogue.
0: Right. Well, there's two stages of dialogue. Mhm. There's continuing dialogue and then there's targeted dialogue.
1: Right, which is what uh, Kirsten Kloster Ozen, who's the head of this committee, talked about today.
0: Yes. So we are now entering targeted dialogue with Brisbane for 2032. Yes. They are the only ones with which the IOC has entered targeted dialogue. So it's become the preferred city.
1: Right. Preferred, but not guaranteed. So that's what bothers me is that there's going to be a lot of media going, oh, Brisbane is going to host 2032. And that's not for certain, but quite likely because they've got a pretty good infrastructure they hosted the 2018 commonwealth Games, so they have a lot of stuff left over from that but there's still some work to do i was looking through the report that the ioc put together on brisbane and their proposals and what the ioc thought about it so one of the things they did in this ioc feasibility assessment for brisbane's proposal is they looked at the venues that they proposed and they made little comments Brisbane wants to put this, put these games across three clusters. So it'd be Brisbane center, the Gold Coast, which is south of Brisbane. And then the Sunshine Coast, which is north of Brisbane. And then they said, they also proposed to have the games at the end of July to August, about the same time at Tokyo, actually to be so, and that would be okay. Brisbane says that it wants to use 14 existing venues plus an additional five existing venues that need some construction work on them. Then they'll have five temporary venues, and they want to create seven new venues. The IOC has said, hmm, you don't need to create five new venues. We've got suggestions for you. They did. They did. We took a little walk around the neighborhood. (laughs) Pretty much. And we found this great park. Right. We found that you have an aquatic center, that you used for the Commonwealth Games, you should use that again, instead of building a big new swimming pool. The interesting thing is that the aquatic center that they have is an outdoor venue. And they do propose building a new one. But I think they also and on a lot of the things that they proposed, the capacity, the seating capacity was bigger. So they've already got a track stadium. And that's got a capacity for 40,000 people. They want to build an Olympic stadium that has capacity for 50,000. And the IOC has said, you know, you should really consider using what you got there. You've got an existing stadium in the Gold Coast for athletics. You've got an existing state, another existing stadium for opening ceremonies. They both hold a little bit less than what you're proposing, but, you know, you've already got it. Good enough. Yeah. that's, that's I, I liked that. I, I liked that a lot. What, and the other thing they. Proposed on the several proposals where they're like, you should just use the ones you have already. Using the the canoe slalom and the rowing and canoe sprint venues from Sydney 2000. That's a bit of a hike from Brisbane. It's a short flight. It's funny
0: you you say that because I actually do not have a very good handle on Australian geography. Mm -hmm. So I took a little look at a map today. As to how far Sydney was from Brisbane, because I wanted to get an idea, like, are we going a very far away? Anyway, so it's it's about 530 miles or so, mm-hmm. roughly from you know point. It's a, it's to a long
1: drive. It's like a 10-hour drive, but it's an hour and a half flight. Yes, but I think it is actually closer
0: than Tokyo is to where its marathon is happening in Sapporo. <laughs> and you know what else? It's a lot closer than what Paris is doing with its surfing in French Polynesia. So I think they can use some Sydney venues.
1: Right. And I could see the argument where you'd have Brisbane rowing go, but we want a venue for our, and build up rowing. Well, you can do that on your own. Don't use the Olympics as an excuse to build the thing. Go ahead and build it now before you get the games. That's what I would say. But Kirsten would say it a lot more diplomatically. She got a
0: lot of questions.
1: Okay, so one of the things that Thomas Bach really
0: hit on today was that the future host commission is totally hands-off from the IOC executive board. Nobody who's on the executive board can be on the future host commission.
1: And if you're part of a country who's involved with, who has expressed interest in hosting, you also cannot be on the future host commission.
0: Right. So there was they were really trying to put up all these firewalls. So a couple of the reporters kept trying to push him, push Tebak to saying what he thought of Brisbane as a potential host. A couple of the Australian reporters were really like, "Please tell us, we need we need a quote from you about how great Brisbane is." Clearly, that's what they were going for, and he's like, "Sorry, no, can't say." <laughs> you you talk to Kirsty Austin. <laughs> he must have said her name, and every time he spoke of her, he was like. You need to speak to Mrs. Closter Austin. Like he's the principal and he's sending you back to the teacher. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm sorry, that's not a school wide problem. You need to deal with your teacher, Mrs. Closter Austin. <laughs> so I thought that was great. And she, who clearly does not do these press conferences on this scale, was a champ. So I'm and, glad are And we're fairly hear... frank. Yes. Much more honest than I expected, in mm-hmm. a way.
1: So the the interesting things is that she also didn't say who else was involved in this process because she's and she said, if they want to say it, they can say it. But we're not letting you know what cities are interested in hosting the games. And we've seen reports in the news that uh, Qatar's interested, India's interested, uh, Indonesia's interested. One of the reporters said that there was some interest in Germany, but apparently the German National Olympic Committee has not put forth a bid. So that may be uh, something, a situation similar to Atlanta, where it's a businessman who's a group who's got some interest in hosting and just doesn't have the, the national support yet. But what this does take away then is a whole industry of lobbying.
0: And t addressed that very directly. hmm You know, one of the reporters asked him, well, aren't you taking this very open process and now putting it behind closed doors? And he very directly said, we're doing the opposite. You know, before there was all these lobbying among cities and this, all this backroom dealing happening. And now we're taking that all away because we have this commission. You've got to deal with the commission. You go with them and you deal with them. There's no lobbyists. There's no more steak dinners. There's no more gold watches.
1: Done. Along with that, somebody asked, oh, aren't you taking away the power of the IOC membership because they're just rubber stamping the choice of the commission? And he said, well, not really. They gave them the power to do that in the first place. So right?
0: who who picked the commission? The
1: IOC picked the commission, mm-hmm. the member and, and they, the membership voted on it and said, yeah, let's do this process and they can take it away. Mm hmm. And I was worried about the transparency, too. I thought we wouldn't see anything. But the the report that we got today about what Brisbane's proposal is, is quite similar to some things that you would see in a bid book. It's not super, super fleshed out. They've got just the outline. But I think that's a good way to start. Like, oh, here's the outline. All right, that looks pretty good. Let's take it to the next step and write up a draft. And that outline came from the IOC and not. Yes, I do. maybe Brisbane put together a presentation. I'm sure they did. But it's not like, oh, we have to make a bid book that's got to go to 100 and some people.
0: Well, I do have a little
1: bit of good news in
0: relation to this.
1: Mm-hmm. One of our listeners already offered us his couch. Excellent.
0: For yes, Brisbane. Yes,
1: so yes. we're good. Yes. So if it happens... Oh, and Brisbane's such a nice city, too. I've, I've never I've been, been to been, Australia. Well, so. oh, very nice place. I, I would be happy if it was in Brisbane because, A... We all know that Sydney just did a bang up job with the Olympics. Marvelous. So, you know, you're in good hands with the host country and B, lovely part of the world.
0: And do you think John Coates would retire then? Like that would be his last hurrah? Maybe. I mean, he is in his 70s, right? Yes. Like he would hang around until 20 if, if that was the host. And then that would be the end of his
1: could be. I don't know. I would miss him a lot. Yeah, but we'd find you know the new the new people would rise up, and we'd have new. I know, Just... Mrs. Klosteraussen. <laughs> there you go. And thus ends our IOC moments. In the spirit of Agenda Twenty Twenty Plus Five. We have revamped the support options for our Patreon. Now you can become a patron of the show at the bronze, silver, and gold medal levels and a very special Shuklastan committee member level. Benefits include a bonus mini episode every month, submitting Ask Me Anything questions to the show, and even commissioning the main segment of a future episode. Make your Shuklastani citizenship official at patreon.com flamealivepod. I'm very excited about this because we are really putting together a whole separate, fully produced episode just for patrons. Because they can't have enough of us.
0: (laughs) We're like Australia. You have to come back. There you go.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Shukflastan. Speaking of Shukvistan, it's time to see what our team Keep the Flame Alive is up to. These team members are our Shuklastanis who have been past guests of the show. Beach volleyball players Kelly Clay and Sarah Sponsel won the country quota for the Doha Four next month. They are currently ranked 10th in the world in beach volleyball, but they are still the third-ranked U.S. team, and only two teams are allowed per country for Tokyo 2020, so it's good that they've qualified for this Cross country skier Keegan Randall is on the Devin Kershaw show podcast, talking about the upcoming cross country world championships. Claire Egan, our biathlete, unfortunately did not have a good world championships this year. She finished 22nd in the single mixed relay and 13th in the women's relay. There are still three weekends of racing left though, and she's ranked 29th in the world. She's also uh, done an interview with Russian publication called Sport Express.
0: Well, speaking of weightlifting, USA Weightlifting CEO Phil Andrews wrote a piece for sportbusiness.com on the value of sponsorship revenue for
1: smaller NGBs. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And as a member of Team Toyota, our speed skater Aaron Jackson just received a Toyota 2021 RAV4 Hybrid XSE. It's white. It's stunning. I know. And she's so happy. Like, oh, and totally deserved. Oh, absolutely. I bet she's like a really slow, careful driver. (laughs) And then she goes out on the (laughs) rink and just kills it. Doing a 180 from well-deserving. We've got a little bit of doping news for you. So uh, several publications, including ESPN, reported that for the next two Olympics, Russia will be officially known as ROC, standing for the Russian Olympic Committee.
0: And I think Dwayne Johnson should complain.
1: (laughs) You think we're all going to say Rock? I think we are all
0: going to say Rock. And we are associating him now with Russian doping.
1: Mm, Which the Rock would not be cool with that. No. The Russian team flag in Tokyo and Beijing will be the ROC symbol, which is an Olympic flame in the white, blue, and red stripes of the national flag above five Olympic rings. They're going to have a different piece of music to replace the Russian national anthem at the medal ceremonies, but that has not yet been agreed upon.
0: For speed skating, they used a piece from Tchaikovsky. Currently, they are proposing a uh, a Soviet-era folk song that was very popular talking about um, the Russians fighting against the Nazis in world war two. All right. That's, that's the Russians choice. I, I would love to hear the Soviet era folk song.
1: I would too. Uh, they can't use Russia at world champs. That's part of the deal with WADA. So it's been interesting to see with this round of world championships this year, what they've done. So in uh biathlon, they kept saying the Russian biathlon union or RBU and I was talking on Twitter with somebody that uh, speed skating, they were not so good with changing that up. So I wonder if that's just like a trickle down thing of where they got it. And I think Russia in biathlon has had some issues with doping. So I think they're probably a little bit more sensitive to this, but it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out across different sports. That sound signals it's time for our, our Atlanta 1996 moment. It's the 25th anniversary of the Atlanta Games, so all year long we are looking back at different elements of those games. Allison, it's your turn this week. What do you got for me?
0: It is. So in 1996, Lee Le Shan won British Hong Kong's first and last Olympic gold medal. Really? Uh, she, yes. She competed in windsurfing, and Hong Kong had sent a team to the Olympics since 1952. They had only missed one Olympics between 52 and and 96. They joined in the 1980 boycott, but they had never won a medal. And she took the gold medal in uh, windsurfing. And she caused a little controversy at the time by declaring Hong Kong athletes are not rubbish, which seemed to be a stab at both the Chinese and British prejudice against the island. Oh, interesting. Yes, and... As was agreed upon previously, the British national anthem was played, but the Hong Kong colonial flag was raised. So that was the so they were called Hong Kong, they were officially called British Hong Kong and that was the split. So you heard God save the Queen, but it was the flag. And then in 1997, of course, China gained control of Hong Kong. And there was a lot of discussion at the time whether Hong Kong was going to continue to have its own team or if they would be absorbed Mm
1: -hmm. into
0: China's team. They have continued to have their own separate team, though it is Hong Kong-China is how they're referred to now. And the big controversy right now, because over the past year, there have been huge protests in Hong Kong about Chinese control of the island and crackdown. and, And one of the sources of controversy is the forced playing of the Chinese national anthem at different events in Hong Kong. It's called March of the Volunteers. And there are Hong Kong athletes who have a possibility of meddling in Tokyo. And the agreement right now is you have the Chinese Hong Kong flag, but you play March of the Volunteers. So there is a possibility of not only the Americans having podium protests, but that Hong Kong athletes could protest the playing of the Chinese anthem.
1: Interesting.
0: So a real link between 96 and and 2020.
1: Fascinating. It's interesting that they've only won one gold medal. They've won a
0: couple of other medals since, but this is the only gold. And in windsurfing, of all things.
1: Right. I can see that being popular on, I, I, I can see that being a possibility because it's an island yeah that makes waves (laughs) but it's interesting that that's where they the talent pool rose up so might have to see if that's online and she is still very active and
0: did commentary oh very cool so she's still around so you will likely hear her if you're listening to hong kong television for windsurfing so lee Lei sean
1: Or six months away. Six months away. One hundred fifty days. Less. Less than one hundred fifty days. Because that popped up. I'm not okay. Uh, you know, hundred fifty days sounds very short to me. Six months sound like a long time.
0: Either way, I realized today you had posted something about how many hours of television mm-hmm. and broadcasts were going to be in the U.S. I I am not ready for this, Lou Jones. I need your training. Schedule from he always when he talked to us about getting ready to photograph the games. I need some serious training, maybe some extra Oreos, something.
1: We gotta get in shape, man. We got a long haul ahead of us. But as we reported earlier, the the leadership structure at the top has changed. But but that did not stop about one thousand volunteers from resigning their positions because of Uncle Yoshi's sexist remarks. That's about 1% of the 80,000 volunteers they needed for the games. Kyoto News was reporting this. Honest to Pete, I bet that makes their lives easier because I have a feeling they're not going to need 80,000 volunteers. Right. So we'll see. It's a shame that they were pushed to the breaking point because you don't want to do that. You don't want to alienate some volunteers. But I don't know. Inside the Games reported that the Australian Olympic Committee announced it's expanding a program they called Connect, which is between school children in in Australia and Japan. And last year, they piloted it with 40 schools and 1,500 students. This year, they've expanded it to 200 schools in each country, and they'll serve 12,000 children. It's a, they call it a the The motto is like tomodachi, which is friendship in Japanese. And the students share video calls and class projects and they have Olympic themed challenges, which sounds very cool. It's like a digital pen pal. Yeah. So that's a really awesome thing. I think that's uh, hopefully that is something that continues on. I mean, if Brisbane hosts, can you imagine They just turn it right around with the same schools, and you Mm -hmm. have multiple generations. Well, not quite
0: generations, but certainly multiple years
1: Mm -hmm. of connection. And you expand it to other countries, too, because then they can be ambassadors. It's awesome. It's a great program. Um, And then uh, some good news for U.S. viewers about the Paralympics. They will have more coverage on NBC this year. They're going to broadcast 1,200 hours of Paralympic coverage, and they will be putting it in primetime television for the first time ever, which is excellent. So this will be across the NBC, NBCSN, Olympic Channel, and Peacock platforms. Not ready. So not ready. uh some test event news from Beijing 2022 so per inside the games the chinese uh Beijing 2022 is doing 17 olympic and 3 paralympic test competitions over a 10 be- a 10 period day in which they will test out six competition venues they're going to test what they can and they're running these tests as close to games time levels as possible even though they don't have the same kind of test event experience that other host nations have had where athletes from all over have come in to test out the venues. Right now, they are focusing on snow and sliding disciplines this month. And in April, they will test the ice venues. And then they're going to have 10 full test events in the October to December period.
0: It'll be interesting with Beijing because I think by the time Beijing comes around, we're going to be able to have significant foreign spectators unlike Tokyo, which we probably won't. I, I so agree. So will the venues have a chance to be spectator tested? Very good question. So that, yes, the, the we know it'll be okay for the athletes, but are we going to hear some bizarre stories because they didn't get to work out the kinks of some of the venues or some of the the different host areas with a whole bunch of people there?
1: Very good question. Oh, speaking of spectators at venues. One thing I forgot from T-Box press conference from today is, again, he was asked, when will you know about spectators? The answer was basically they want to make the decision as late as possible, but as early as needed. There were. I thought that was such a great answer. Right, because they need the time For a lot of they've got to make a lot of decisions on or they're trying to wait to see what's playing out with the virus situation. And there have been signs that coronavirus is going down a little bit in Japan and they're starting to get their vaccine. But it's taking a little bit longer than other countries. But on the same side, because they want to wait to make the decision Based on the coronavirus situation, they still need to make a decision based on people need to know how to get there. The country's got to figure out immigration issues. Venues have to know how many people they'll be able to have, so they need to know how much they schedule for all the services that the venue provides. That's interesting when you think about it, because there is once you make the decision, there's so much more to do, and then you compress that time as much as you can. It makes it a lot harder for those things to actually happen. Is
0: anybody on the Tokyo organizing committee getting any sleep at all
1: right I now? I doubt it. I really doubt it. They're just all going to need a, a vacation when this is done. There's going to be and a hopefully. big gap on their resume and everyone's going, why do you have that gap on your resume? Hey, have you tried to move an Olympic Games back one year? That's why. <laughs> Maybe we'll try and move to Florida. <laughs> or or uh, the Middle East. Yeah, why not? all right all right speaking of moving why don't we move our butts out of here that'll do it for this week's episode tell us what you think the ioc's new five-year plan should be called
0: email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 208 flame it we're flame alive pod on twitter and insta and keep the flame alive podcast group on facebook
1: Next week, we'll be back with more Olympic and Paralympic stories. So as we go out to music by Archdale, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.
0: like Australia, you have to come back.